Hey, good morning, church. Hey, let me commend you for singing your hearts out today. Uh, We have much to sing about, do we not? We have much to celebrate, and we praise the Lord for the opportunity to week in and week out to put our voices together and sing of the goodness of the truths of the Lord. Uh, it is it is a blessing to be a part of the family of God. I know part of our family is not here, just so you're aware. Uh, you may have noticed uh, that we are skewing just slightly older today because our student ministry is away for a retreat. Uh, with this holiday weekend going on, they left on Friday. They'll come back tomorrow. Uh, I would encourage you to pray for them as the summit retreat uh, uh, continues to unfold. Uh, the Lord has, in, in previous years, has done some incredible things in this retreat. And so let's pray for them and be encouraged that we have a, a large group of students who are pursuing Jesus. And uh, that's, a, that's a really good thing. We're going to be in 2 John today, if you want to open up your Bibles. 2 John, so if you're not quite familiar with the Scripture, uh, go to the end of the Bible, to the, to, to the far right, and begin to go back toward the beginning. Um, it's uh, just a couple of books or so uh, from the end of the Bible. 2 John, it's a very short book that we're going to be looking at. Uh, let me also take a moment and, and thank Gary Townsend for preaching and, and, and providing the word last week. Um, amen. Yes. Uh, his, his message actually, uh, as he was preaching on scripture and, and how we can trust the word and, and the power of the word really, uh, lays the groundwork for what we're going to be looking at today. Um, and, uh, we're going to be talking about truth. And I hope you understand that there is a war over what even truth is. The prevailing philosophy of this age is simply this. Truth is relative. Uh, We're seeing that uh, in in just about every corner, even in our own society, from the government to uh, to the education system, to the way things are being employed. Truth is relative. And therefore, there is no such thing, the prevailing philosophy says, there is no such thing as absolute truth. I mean, it's perfectly fine for you to say, well, this is truth, as long as you don't then turn around and say, because this is truth, this is false. The, 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 the prevailing perspective is that that's not right. As soon as you say, this is truth, or this is my truth, society says, well, then it's settled. If you say it and you believe it and it's just true for you, then, then all is well. And so no longer in this postmodern world in which we find ourselves in, uh, is it commonly held that there is such a thing as right and wrong that transcends everything. Frederick Nietzsche, the patron saint of postmodernism, s- described truth like this. What then is truth? A mobile army of metaphors, metonyms, and anthropomorphisms, truths are illusions. Coins which have lost their pictures and no matter how, uh, and now matter only as metal, no longer as coins. Here's a problem with stating that there is no, no such thing as absolute truth. Saying that there is no absolute truth is actually an absolute truth statement. I mean, people believe it. They'll say, oh no. Is there such a thing as truth? No, no, truth is relevant. There is no such uh, relative. There is no such thing as absolute truth. They state absolutely. You see, it's a self-defeating statement. To state absolutely that there is no absolute truth proves that you actually believe that there is at least one truth that is absolute. You see, nevertheless, we find ourselves in this great debate over truth, and the, and the debate rages on, and 
I will tell you as a pastor, as a leader of a spiritual organization, the debate is spiritual and the impact is spiritual. Several studies back this up. One study says that 73% of American college seniors report that their professors teach that there is no such thing as right and wrong in the literal sense, that good and evil are addressed in terms of, quote, individual values and cultural diversity. 41% of adults, one study says, 41% of of adults who attend church weekly state that they're not born again. Can I say that again? Listen, 41% of those who attend church weekly claim they're not born again. I don't know what kind of church they're attending. I pray they're not attending this church. But if that is you, let me just tell you, there is a gospel and there is a, a God and Jesus has come to save you today. And I, I promise you, if you'll listen to the truths that I'm going to proclaim today that I believe to be absolute, today you can be born again. All right, so hold on. Another study says that only 60% of teenagers who claim to be Christian believe salvation uh, can be earned through, they claim that salvation can be earned through good works. of teenagers who claim to be Christian think that Jesus sinned while he was on earth. And I don't know if these these statements, these surveys, uh, and the results of these surveys are troubling to you. They're troubling to me. Because we're not just talking about those people outside of the walls of the church. We're talking about those who claim to know Jesus. So what can we do? How do we respond in this world where truth is relative, or so they say? What is our response we who are believers in the one truth. Well, so that you know, a response already been made for you. We're going to see it in our passage today. It's one of the shortest books of the Bible. The second John is one of the shortest of all the scriptures, the second epistle. And in this short little book, you're going to see John taking a stand for truth. And with that, he's going to encourage you and me to uphold the truth as well. So let's, let's stand together. We're going to read the entirety of this book. It's only 13 verses, so don't worry. It's not a long time. The second letter of John. Here's how it begins. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. 
the children of your elect sister greet you. Would you pray with me? Lord, on this day, the Lord's day, we are a people who celebrate the truth. Lord, we embrace that truth is not just relative, far from it, but Lord, we believe it is absolute. And that truth can be found in your word. And that in your word, your word itself declares itself to be truth. Lord, we pray that we would understand the significance of this message today and the blessing that it is to have your truth, that we would love in truth, that we would celebrate the truth as we guard it, watch over it, and walk in it. And Lord, I'm, I'm mindful also that we have students that are away today, and I pray for them as they are wrestling with similar issues as we will be wrestling with today. And Lord, we know that they are the church today, but that they are in a fight. As we've watched the, the decline of the understanding of what truth is over these last few decades, and now we see this generation that is being raised where they've never known a world in which absolute truth prevails. But Lord, we know that absolute truth does prevail ultimately in you. So encourage them as they study, as they prepare. We pray that lives be changed because of their going. And we pray that as they return, we will be encouraged by what you've done through them. So speak now, I pray, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Let me first set the context of this letter so that you understand it. If you've ever read 1 John... Many times, many Christians will, we, will be far more familiar with Paul's or John's first letter uh, than we will Second John or Third John. If you've ever read First John, basically the background is the same. It's written most likely by the Apostle John, and he's writing to a church that's dealing with false teachers, and he's encouraging those that are um, in the church that, that claim the name of Christ that, that as these false teachers began to circle around them. Some of these false teachers were trying to take advantage of the kindness uh, and the tenderness of Christians to gain influence into the church at large. And so John, specifically in this uh, pa- passage that we've read, but overall in First, Second, and Third John, John responds by calling them to hold to the truth while calling them to continue to love and obey the truth. And you'll notice the letter begins like this in verse 1. It says, the elder, again, we think that this is referring to John himself. There was a John the elder, but we believe this is John the apostle John, that the elder is writing to the elect lady and her children. So the author is referring to himself as the elder, meaning that he's probably older, more likely a, a person of authority in the life of the church, but that he's writing to the elect lady and her children. Now what that is about and who this is about is up for some debate. Is it some specific woman that he's referring to in regards to the lady? Most likely he's speaking about the church. Many times we refer to the, the, to the church in terms of female language, the, you know, the church as she. So when he says that this is, he's writing to the elect lady, he's likely writing to the church. And speaking of its members, he's talking about the the, the lady's children, her children. Either way, you see some affection coming out of of, of the writer uh, toward these people. 
So what is it that John has to say about these that he apparently cares so much about? Well, you'll see very quickly that John cares about the truth. He mentions three times in the first two verses the word truth, uh, and really it's mentioned five times overall in this letter. And so he's going to talk about loving in, in, in the truth. He's going to talk about knowing the truth, the truth that abides, walking in the truth, and how God's grace, mercy, and peace will be with us in truth. So what is to be meant by truth? What do we mean by that? What's in John's mind? Well, let me first begin by telling you what, what truth is not, in, to, as we sort of define our terms here. Truth is not simply whatever works, Right? Truth is not simply what you can understand. Some truth is, is beyond us. Truth is not what makes you feel good. Truth is not what the majority says is true. You, know, you can get 51% of the people to say something is true, but 51% can still be wrong. And truth is not simply what you believe. Just because you believe it doesn't make it true. And so let me just make this as simple as I can. The most simple uh, uh, definition of truth is this. Truth is telling it like it actually is. Either something is as it actually is or it is not. And so truth is simply the way things really are, and any other viewpoint that is contrary to that, it is wrong. And so from a biblical perspective, truth is essential, it's eternal, it's consistent, it is permanent. Truth is not optional, it's not relative, it's not changing, it's not fluctuating. And so when it comes to the scriptures, to the Christian faith, we need to be asking, is this the way things really are? When it comes to what we believe and, and why we exist and the purpose of our existence and what we are to be about in trying to understand and, and, and make sense of this world, is this the way things really are? And if so, any other viewpoint, any other faith is wrong. And this is why John is so adamant that they, that he, these that he's writing to, as well as we, he is so adamant that we uphold the truth. So how does one do that? I believe that John sort of walks us through this. And we're going to begin with love. We must love in truth. If we want to uphold the truth, we must love in truth. Read on there again in verse 1 and 2, where he says, to the, elder, uh, the elder to the elect lady and her children, he says, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be in us forever. Ever. So when he says I, uh, that we are to love in truth, he's writing that emphatically. He's making a strong a statement here, a strong assertion. And so you'll note in John's mind that, that, that there is this close relationship between love and truth. He deeply loves these fellow believers. But this love occurs within the context of a group who have a united belief in what is true, in truth. You see, love is so important to John. Particularly, you'll see it in 1 John. When you look back through that, and we're not going to go there and do a survey, uh, but you will see over and over again the idea of love pops up in his first epistle. And it, it, it was a repeated theme there. Uh, well, he also mentions it several times in this letter, but he, when he does so, he does so in conjunction with the truth. But it shouldn't surprise us that we are connected together by this special bond of truth. I mean, why is it that we love one another? I mean, I'm going to tell you from the depths of my heart, as your pastor to you, I deeply love you. 
I really do. I sincerely do. But you know what the basis of that is? Why we are connected that way? We have a special bond that unites us in love, and it's the truth. And it's not because we all share the same likes and dislikes. I mean, I'm a Kentucky fan, and the rest of you don't know what you're talking about, right? I mean, I I like certain things and I dislike certain things. Some of the things that I like, you may dislike and vice versa. And so we love one another not based upon our shared likes and dislikes. We, We love one another not based upon the fact that we share all the same goals in life or that we're all compatible. No, we love one another and and have favor for one another because we embrace the same truth. It is what has brought us together. We have this common commitment that we have in our faith in Jesus Christ. And this faith, this commitment, this truth is the foundation of the genuine love that we have for one another. And so it started with the fact that I believe that Jesus is God and that he has saved me and redeemed me based upon his sacrifice upon the cross and the fact that he was buried and he came back to life. And many of you, most of you, have embraced Jesus by faith and have found forgiveness of your sins like I have based upon that same truth. And so we have started there and that has brought us together in this relationship. And as a result of that, we have grown in our relationship with one another because we are all of the same family. We are the family of God. And so we have have affection for one another and we grow together in love for one another. And so this truth is the foundation of our genuine love for one another. Amen? Amen? You see, under most other circumstances, most of us wouldn't even know one another. Had it not been for my faith in Jesus Christ, I probably wouldn't be in Ocala right now. But the Lord, because of my calling, my faith in Him, and my calling as a pastor, He he brought me here. But most of us would not have this relationship. I mean, if you think about it, it's a really strange thing that we all gather together and have affection for one another and we are united together if it weren't for the fact that there is a mighty message of truth that we are united under. But it's our commitment to the truth that binds us together in love. It's also in this community that's committed to truth that we experience much of the blessings that come from the commitment of the truth. I'm going to tell you why I believe so strongly in the church and the fact that we gather together and we meet together in the good times and the bad is that it's through our community uh, wrapped around and uh, 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 committed in truth and wrapped in love that God blesses us through one another. And as we journey through life together in good times and in bad, we experience them together. In fact, if you look at verse 3, John mentions some of those blessings As he's beginning his salutation and writing to them, he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. It's something we experience together from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. And so this grace and mercy and and peace, it comes in the context of the truth and love. And so as John is speaking of grace, he's speaking of that which God does for us Uh, though we do not deserve it, his unmerited favor and kindness, something we've not earned. When we talk about his mercy, that's God not giving to us what we actually deserve. We we deserve God's judgment, amen? He, He chooses not to give us that. Instead, he gives us compassion and pity and forgiveness. And then we talk about peace. It's the idea that he that in Christ Jesus, we've been made whole and he reconciles us to him and to one another in every way. And so all of these 
or just a drop in the bucket of the the many blessings uh, that embracing the truth and love brings about. That is our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's why we boldly proclaim the gospel as truth. It's so that others can experience God's grace and mercy and peace just like we have experienced it. And so when it comes to the truth in this world, it is so tossy-turvy, saying that truth is relative. You and I, we uphold the truth by loving the truth and loving in truth. Something else we can do to uphold the truth is to, to walk in the truth. That is, we not only say we believe the truth, but we believe it enough that we live it out and we choose to live by it. Look at verse 4. He says, I'd rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And so John was encouraged that many who had claimed to believe the truth of Jesus are actually living it out. They're walking in the truth because he's very concerned about what they believed. See, belief is powerful. What you believe impacts your behavior. I mean, you can say something that you believe, but if it's not reflected in your behavior, you might not believe it like you think you believe it. And so it's very important that you consider what is the truth. Now, obviously, our position is that Jesus is truth, that the Bible is truth, that the gospel is truth. Now, it's sad that not everyone believes that today. It's why we're on mission in this world. We, we, we are taking the gospel to other people, but we believe that, that there is truth. It's absolute truth, and it's the fact that there is a, a, a pervasive idea that truth is not absolute, that we're facing a crisis of authority in Western culture today. Let me just tell you, when it comes to determining whether something is truth or not, there are only four options available to you. You you determine what is true either by reason, what you think is true, or you, you, you determine truth based upon tradition, what you've been told is true, or you determine that something is true based upon experience, that's what you feel to be true. The fourth way, besides reason, tradition, and experience, that that we determine whether something is true is revelation, what's been revealed as true. Now, you'll notice that it's only the the last one that allows something to be true without your involvement. The first one, reason. The second one, tradition. The third, experience. Those are all based upon your opinion, what you judge to be true. But it's only the last one, revelation, that's outside of you. So an essential part of our Christian faith is that we believe that truth has been revealed to us. That's why we we honor and, and revere the Word of God so much. We know that God has revealed truth to us in holy writ in the Bible. And so we don't determine what is true. The Bible determines what is true. And from John's perspective, God had spoken. He had revealed himself. The Father had given his command, and as far as John was concerned, that's enough for me. God has revealed himself, so now it's up to us to obey. And also, as far as John was concerned, you didn't just believe the truth, you walked in it. You lived it out. See what he writes there in verse 5? He says, and now I ask you, dear lady, dear church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And so the Bible declares, God's Word declares, we must love one another. So we need to do that. Verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Here we see again the close relationship between love and truth. 
when one embraces the truth of Christ, it's going to have a significant impact on your behavior, on how you live. When one embraces the, the real truth, you're going to love because it's a part of who you now are. When, when, the, when Jesus changes you and His Spirit uh, takes up residency, God's Spirit takes up residency with you, within you, you're a different person. It's going to impact your relationships. You will love, and you will likewise love. And so we'll love one another. This is the new command given in Christ Jesus, that we love one another. And we're also going to then go about obeying His commands. We'll walk in His commandments and those commandments that we have had from the beginning. These verses say it so well. We are to walk in love, walk in His commandments, walk in the Bible, in the truth, and to live it out. So we love in truth and we walk in the truth that's been revealed to us. Here's the third thing. And this is sort of the, the occasion, by the, the, the theme or the purpose by which John is writing this letter, and that is in this world in which uh, truth is sometimes seen as relative and in light that there is one truth that we should uphold, we who understand the truth need to do this third thing, and that is to be on guard with the truth. Something I've watched in the course of my ministry, there's just been this significant shift during the, the 30 years that the Lord has called me to be in the pastorate, and, and I've watched the mission field change so rapidly. And along the way, I've noticed so many people have not recognized it. We, we got sort of caught up in our religious little worlds, going about our routines, living in our religious cocoons, not realizing that the world that so many of us had grown up in was changing all around us. And now we've woken up and we've said, what has happened to our world? We're, we're, we're in the battle for truth. And I will tell you, in the very, at the very heart of it, you need to understand this, church. The reason why the very understanding of truth has been under attack for so long is that it's a, it's a spiritual battle that we're fighting here. If, we, if, if society is able, if the prevailing world philosophy is able to, to grab a hold of the mind of the typical person to say that truth is relative, it works against the, 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 the scriptures that hold to truth exclusively and embraces faith exclusively through Jesus Christ. And so if you can undermine the very idea that such a, an, a thing as absolute truth exists, then you can, you can undermine the gospel itself. Let me just tell you, one way in which the world has changed for the worse when it comes to truth is that truth is just harder to find anymore. Consider the, these philosophical quotes about truth. Famed atheist Richard Rorty boldly proclaimed that, quote, truth is, not, is made, not found. Michael Foucault, also an atheist, said, all truth claims are constructed to serve those in power. The deconstructionist Jacques Derrida declared that the author is dead and the text is dead and all meaning is the creation of the readers. In other words, you make up the truth as you feel it, it is. I mentioned Nietzsche at the beginning of this sermon. Nietzsche heralded in a previous century that God himself is dead. Dostoevsky was certainly correct when in the Brothers Karamazovo, he wrote, if God is dead, everything is permissible. Let me say that again. If truth is dead, then God is dead. And if God is dead, everything is permissible. Do we not live in a day and time where it seems that in the modern mind that everything is permissible? We've arrived there. And just so you know, the, these, 
this idea of, of everything being permissible and the, the destruction of truth being a recent phenomenon, it's not. John was facing it in his own day. In John's day, Gnosticism was dealing a heavy blow to the church in his day. You know, one of the, the problems of, of Gnosticism is that they denied the incarnation of Jesus. They not denied that God came into this world in flesh, that He was spirit only. Friends, that's a denial of the truth of Scripture. And there were many in John's day that began to embrace this heresy. And with this heresy running rampant in the church among the churches under John's authority, he issues this warning, stop it. Hold on to the truth. Guard yourself. In fact, the warning comes in the form of recognizing that which is not true. Look at verse 7. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. In response to that, he says this, verse 8, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Listen up, church. This is important. We who have been given the truth, John is, is listening to, for us. He is alerting us to the enemy's agenda. And the enemy's agenda is this. He has sent many deceivers into this world. They don't believe in Jesus Christ, as we, at least as we believe them. They, de they deny the incarnation of Christ, meaning they're denying the divinity of Christ. They're denying the gospel, and ultimately they are denying the truth. And see, all false teaching will have a false view of Jesus. It always comes down to Jesus. There'll, there'll be some kind of misrepresentation of, of who he is, his incarnation, uh, that he is Lord, or, or what he has done, such as his death or his resurrection. And I, I've watched it in my, in, in, during my ministry. I, went, I remember when I was a seminary student, the, there was a, a group of liberal scholars that, that called themselves the Jesus Seminar. And uh, for a, a six-year period, uh, they were examining the, both the, the teachings of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. And they would gather together uh, occasionally, and uh, they would take the, the Gospels as we have them. And uh, as a part of their, their evaluating of Scripture, they were voting on which parts of Scripture that they could absolutely say was true versus those things that we think are sort of true, sort of like that, versus those things that absolutely didn't take place at all. And they would take these little beads, uh, colored beads, and they would drop, uh, they would have a statement, you know, maybe a, the say, a saying of Jesus or a, a miracle of Jesus, and they, uh, they would vote verse after verse and passage after passage to determine the, the true gospel. And uh, the result of the work is a book by the name of the Acts of Jesus. Don't write that name down. Don't buy that book. It's trash. All right? <laughs> but here's what that book proclaimed. That the resurrection of Jesus did not involve the resuscitation of his corpse. That belief in Jesus' resurrection did not depend on what happened to his body. That the body of Jesus decayed as other corpses. In other words, his body didn't come back to life. That the resurrection was not an event that happened on the first Easter Sunday. That it was not an event that could have been recorded. Uh, if, if, if video cameras had been in existence in those days, that, that it, it could not have been recorded by a video camera. And that it was not necessary to believe in the historical veracity of the resurrection narratives. In fact, they, they ultimately wrote their own gospel using their, their evaluations. And uh, the, basically their gospel ends with Jesus' body in the tomb, the end. 
Now, what would John, the apostle, have to say about their work if he were alive to see it? He'd probably say of them when he wrote in verse 7, which is this, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. That's what he would have said. The, the, the word antichrist, sometimes we have in our mind the big capital A, antichrist, that one who would come and oppose uh, the church and, and the gospel in the days ahead. But the word antichrist literally means against Christ. Anyone who is directly opposed to Jesus is an antichrist. They're deceivers. They're antichrist. Such persons are against Jesus. They're against who he is and what he has done. And John says they're deceivers and that they are many. And knowing that the deceivers are many, John then gives us this caution in verse 8, watch out. Watch out for yourselves. That is, be on guard. So why does John say this? The reason is the consequence. He says, because your full reward is at stake. See it again in verse 8? Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. What what is John talking about here? It's, It's one of two things. Either he is saying that you can lose your salvation if you, if you turn from the truth, embrace this false truth, or you can lose the rewards of your Christian service. Let me state very quickly, we don't have time to go back through Scripture and, and show you why that true Christians cannot lose their salvation. Let me just state it very plainly. If you are truly saved by the grace of God, you will remain saved. You've heard me say perhaps before, if you are saved by grace, that is, you have done nothing to uh, earn your salvation, then once you are saved by grace, you can do nothing to unearn your salvation. You get it? It's all on Him, not on us. And so we believe in the perseverance of the saints. So it's perhaps it's best to look at this statement that John is making here this way, that perseverance in the faith shows that you are genuinely saved. And that those who do not persevere show that they were never saved from the beginning. See the difference? There's some who sort of give the appearance of salvation who eventually fade away, but those who have been genuinely saved never will. As Vance Havner once said, faith that fizzles before the finish was faulting from the first. See, we as Christians, we need to be on guard. We need to resist the deceivers who deny the truth of Jesus. But, but John goes on, look at verse 9. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of, of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in, this, in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now what John is saying here, this is a warning against those in that church in those days who through their kindness were being deceived by, by some of these false teachers, these heretics. And he was telling them, be very careful not to give them safe quarter. You don't want to bring them in and bring them as a part, make them feel like they're a part of the church. They begin to influence you negatively and influence the rest of the church. And so what, what John is actually stating here, he's making a strong statement to those who go beyond the gospel. The, the, they want to take the, the truth of the gospel and they want to add to it And John's assessment to this point is such people are spiritually lost. Be careful of them. And so his command is to reject them. Don't provide them any support. Don't encourage them. Don't assist them. Now, he's not saying that you totally cut them off because sharing the truth, they need to hear the truth just as you need the truth. They need to hear it and embrace it. However, the warning here is that we should be very careful. It should be done with care. must be done with caution. 
And that's why we need to be on guard with the truth and not let it come into the body, all right? Final, final point, it's just sort of a sub-point, but I think it's, it's worth noting. It's affirming what we do every, every week. When it comes to upholding the truth, we should celebrate the truth. That's the fir- f- fourth and final point, and that's something we do together. Look at it, what, what Paul, or excuse me, John, I've said Paul twice today. Paul had nothing to do with this letter. John said in verse 12, he said, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. Why? So that our joy may be complete. So here, John, having shared these important truths, he's beginning to wind his letter down. And he could have said so much more in this short letter. More could be said. But what he wants to do, he says, I'm going to just save all of that. I've warned you. The big point is, watch out for these that don't hold to the truth. Watch out. You uphold it. You embrace it. You love the truth. You stand in the truth. Be on guard with the truth. But I I have more to talk about this. But listen, we're going to get together. I want to do it in person. And so as he is closing, he's anticipating they're going to tangibly experience the truth when they meet together. When he says, I hope to come to you and to talk face to face. Why? So that our joy may be complete. Here, I'm just going to affirm you for being here today. There is something special about the church of God getting together. You, You can't substitute it. I know we have some dear saints because of health issues or uh, other reasons that have pulled them away from us being local uh, that, that are not present. They may be watching us online and we praise God that you have that alternative. But if you can providentially be here, there's something about being face to face, something about being in, 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 in the same space together with one another. And so it, 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 coming together allows us to celebrate the truth. It should, should lead us to the fullness of joy. Of course, the, the operative word is should, there was a, there was, but there was no should for John here. He absolutely expected that when he got in front of them and they were eyeball to eyeball, that there would be joy. That when they were united in the faith, united in their trust in Christ, that they would experience this truth together tangibly. You know, that's what we're doing every single Sunday when we gather here. Just something special about it. I, I, I just, I, I hear from dear saints who, because of their age, are no longer able to gather with us, and they have some health issues. It's just impossible for them to sit for an hour in this place. But they have been, that, this has been their habit for their entire lives. And now it's been taken away from them because of, of, of aging And if you could just do as I do from time to time and go sit with them and listen to them mournfully talk about the loss of the community that we have here together. Because they know, what we should know intuitively, that gathering together in the name of Jesus and gathering in truth is a blessing. And that there is something about it that brings and evokes joy in the heart of the believer. At least it should And that's what we're doing every single Sunday. When we gather together, we are celebrating the truth, that we have the truth, and that we're walking in the truth, and that we're living in the truth, but also that we're encouraged to be on guard in the truth, in joy we're rejoicing over the truth. And the fact that we're sitting under the proclaimed Word of God at this very moment, this, this very act that I'm engaged in and you are engaged in, this is a celebration of the truth. 
Indeed, the truth about Jesus, it brings us together from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We are one family with the same Father, the same Savior, the same Spirit. And to know that there are churches across the land and across the globe that on this day will gather together. We are all being united in the truth. Love and truth flow freely from Him to us all. And it ought to flow from us to one another. And so let's celebrate that we have the truth and enjoy. Let's keep celebrating it. I'm going to close with a quote by Larry King. Many of you know Larry King was on CNN for many, many years doing a a one-on-one talk show. He was once asked, after interviewing thousands of people, he was once asked, if you could interview one person in history, who would it be and what would you ask them? And here's what Larry King said. He said, I would want to interview Jesus. And I would ask him if he was really virgin born because the answer to that question would define history. Larry King, as far as I know, did not know Jesus. But he did summarize, I believe, a very important truth that Jesus himself, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, does define history. And the reason why? is because Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. Truth exists. Absolute truth is knowable. And that absolute truth that is knowable is Jesus Christ. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, that today be the day that you finally experience the truth of who He is. Love the truth. Walk in the truth. Be on guard with the truth. Celebrate the truth. Love Jesus. Walk in Jesus. Recognize Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. Because truth has a name. And His name is Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me please? Lord, I thank You that the truth, that absolute truth exists and that that truth has been revealed. We rejoice, Lord, that the truth that surpasses all knowledge is You. And that You you have made truth manifest in this world by taking on flesh, being both God and man. And You came into this world to reveal Yourself, to reveal the Word, the Word of truth to humanity. But not only that, You made experiencing the truth possible. Because of our sin, we are blinded to the truth. But Lord, you laid down your life to pay the penalty of our sin. Every last one of us have been cursed by sin, born in sin, and we commit sin, we live in sin. But you have offered the greatest victory, the only victory over sin, by dying for our sin. And you went to the grave and you came out of the grave. Lord, we believe it. That matters not that some liberal scholars from a decade or so ago declared that you, you died and you remained in the tomb. We believe the truth of the real Scripture, that you died, you were buried, and you came back to life for the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, based on that, we have professed faith in you. We have sought forgiveness of our sins from you. And we are now, having repented of our sin, we have turned to you and now live for you and live in your truth. But Lord, I pray that that if there be one here today, maybe several, who have yet to experience the truth of the gospel, the good news, and have yet to experience the truth of who you are, 
I pray, Lord, today they, they find you, they find forgiveness, they find salvation, that today they would be saved because they embrace the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let it be, we pray. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.